0: I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. Dr. Mike Rucker is on a mission to help the world have more fun. He is an organizational psychologist who was an expert in positive psychology until he realized that the search for happiness comes up empty and leads you to constantly be on a treadmill looking for something that may not exist. Because happy, what does happy mean? It's a a fluid concept. And he realized that it's about fun. It's about creating fun in our lives. Creating joy and living in action and presence in the here and now is accessible, it's self motivated, and it's doable. It's a goal. You can achieve it because you can have fun and whatever that fun means for you. So he wrote a book called The Fun Habit. And in this interview, which I think is really a great way to think about, first of all, what do you think? is fun. And how do you create the space in your life to build that out and create that habit so that your life is more enjoyable, has more joy in it. And there's, you know, all sorts of benefits, but just the experience of happy comes from having fun. So it's flipping the idea of happiness and toxic positivity or positive psychology on its head by just focusing on this one aspect where, okay, we're going to have fun. We're going to play as grownups, as adults. We're going to carve that space out for ourselves and figure out where does the seed of fun live individually in yourself and how do you build that out slowly to create the fun habit. When I came across your book, which I'm trying to remember how and where I came across, it, I was like the fun habit and the idea of fun and in this like, you know, dreary (laughs) February and everyone's feeling so meh all the time, the concept of how to bring fun into our lives to have the world have more fun is your mission. I was like, I got to talk to this guy. I want to know how to do that.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, for me, really the path towards, you know, looking at enjoyment in the moment, you know, in previous decades, we almost made happiness a goal, you know? And so this fact that folks were trying to, you know, solve for happy was what put me on the path to this work. But I certainly think, and when you reached out, I found it fascinating that, You know, I really do think it's resonating, especially with women that feel trapped in the sandwich generation, because at the end of the day, it's about time affluence, right? It's about figuring out how can you affect certain aspects of your life, even if you can't change the circumstance per se, but potentially giving yourself permission to not do some things that were habituated so that you can make better choices in that moment or looking at, you know, particular ways of how you go about activities.
0: What brought you to the search for fun and and the realization that it's really about the time of your life to create fun versus the search for happy?
1: So I'd answer that really quickly in three ways. Up until the early 2000s, I was part of a cohort of psychologists that still exist, you know, this idea of positive psychology, and we had overemphasized looking at happiness as kind of. A construct. And so much so that I think a lot of folks, especially in the West, looked at it as an outcome. And we now know that was quite problematic. And it certainly happened to me, right? I was like trying to chase it as an end goal. And what we know is that folks that have become overly concerned of like, how can I be happy? You know, they find themselves in a state where they want to get better, but then they kind of put happiness out in the horizon instead of realizing it can be right where your feet are. Has really led to some interesting consequences, so much so that we have this standard word for it now, right? Toxic positivity. But when I found out that happiness is kind of this ideal, became problematic, I wanted to figure out what was better. So long story short, that's why I started looking at fun as a construct that is a lot more helpful than kind of you know trying to architect a life, you know this idea of life design and like happiness will be this end product that's you know somewhere out there. Because when we do that, right, then happiness isn't where we live. And so we start to look at that gap between where we are and where it is. And we now know that that becomes insidious. Like over time, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we'll start to identify as being unhappy because, you know, I'll get there at some point. But, you know, your brain realizes, well, if I'm not happy now, then I must be an unhappy person, right? And so there's that problem. Hmm. I think more apropos of some of the work that you do is really just this idea of time affluence, you know, especially here in North America, our access to leisure is so poor, right? And for this idea of living in the sandwich generation is something unique to our era, right? I mean, we're having kids later or, you know, luckily our parents are living longer, but we haven't had this type of responsibility in any previous generation. And so We do need to be pretty mindful of how we spend our time because if we don't, you know, life can kind of just pass us by. And we know that there's a whole host of negative consequences to that.
0: When we talk about that time affluence and the search for happy, and it's almost like a constant hamster wheel of trying to get to something, to a feeling, to a equilibrium that doesn't exist. And everyone has different happy. I think of people as like different happy equilibriums. Like I'm a pretty high caliber, happy person, but I have a son whose barometer of happy is really different than mine. And I've had to think about that as like him as a human and who he is. And so you're right. It's like an unattainable goal that we're going after. And when you're a stressed out person who's working and managing a family or dealing with parents, whatever it is, happy has got to be the lowest on the list. So how do you help people find that space to rethink happy and bring in joy?
1: So you brought up a couple interesting things and that is there certainly is a predisposition, right? In psychology, we have this geeky term called the hedonic treadmill. And it's, you know, a sort of ode to the fact of exactly what you said. A lot of life is doing things, adapting to those, And so if we're always kind of looking for excitement to be our avenue for feeling happy or feeling fulfilled, that can feel like a hamster wheel, right? Absolutely. And then the other is we have predispositions to what fun might be. And so if we try to make it something external, oftentimes we can be left disappointed. But that's, again, why I really like this idea of fun because what it does is it reminds us that in a lot of circumstances, we have the agency and autonomy to create opportunities for things that we enjoy. And when we're in that moment, we're not worried about how we feel in past or present, right? All we're reminded of is that we are lucky enough and hopefully grateful, you know, this feeling of gratitude to be doing what we're doing in this moment. And when we index those things over time, what we know is that tends to build emotional flexibility and resilience because all too often, and I imagine you find this with the folks that you work with, when we really mortgage off these opportunities for quote unquote fun, you know, to big vacations at the end of the year, or perhaps spring break or, or whatever it is, if those things go awry or, you know, maybe your trip to Aruba, it was raining and, and that, you know, kind of falls apart then you have to wait an entire year before you have that kind of respite. Right. And so folks that are able to kind of integrate these micro joys through deliberate design, you know, have that to look forward to like, you know what, today sucked. You know, I really, you know, I'm not enjoying my time with my colleagues or whatever it is, but I know dance class on Thursday is going to be amazing. And so as long as it's a healthy avenue towards escaping that moment and that's not, you know, that kind of, trauma or whatever you're dealing with isn't, you know, something that needs a deeper dive in having those opportunities become extremely important under that context. Cause so many of us don't, right. We just let our busy lives get in this rhythm where we're giving it all away and we're not taking anything off the table for ourselves.
0: I love in the, in your book and on your website, you have a a quiz that you can take to find like, what's (laughs) your source of fun? What are the ways that you as a person find fun and that's really cool. my I'm a socializer which i thought is <laughs> is really true like i am energized by the experience of other people being out, you know, it doesn't matter how tired I am. Like I'm an extrovert that way and doing things with teams, socializing, social bonding. Those are all things that I feel fun and pull me very much into the present moment. So I feel joy and present in that space. And so I'm going to put the link to that because I think it's a really interesting thing to think about. Like, where is the fun? What do you think that, you know, everyone's deal, idea of fun is, is different too than the same way happy. Like, you know, some people like to sit on a couch and read a book. Some people like to go for a walk. Uh, some people like to go, you know, take a class. What did you find when you went on the search for fun was, was eye-opening to you about your own journey?
1: In regards to what you just shared, I mean, obviously there was a lot. I wrote a really long book about it. But I think one of the things that is important to remember and and was eye-opening. This work comes from Jeannie Sai out of Stanford because um, a lot of that quiz is based on emotional science. Arousal tends to be what gives us these different preferences with regards to what one person will find fun and what another person might not, right? And so the fact that we don't celebrate low arousal fun, you know, something like just enjoying a good book, poolside, or, you know, a really great massage or, you know, gardening, these things that, you know, aren't advertised to us on the Instagram because we're not clicking our heels on a beach, but are just as pleasurable as what someone might find at, you know, a rock concert or whatever. And so I'll talk to folks that will tell me, you know, I'm just not a fun person. Okay. So what do you have going on in your life? Well, I garden every Saturday. That's really enjoyable. And, you know, I'm, Spend every night, you know, an hour as part of my good sleep hygiene, getting engrossed in a good book. Like, those are amazing activities that a lot of folks aren't doing. And so you're already, you know, winning half the battle. But unfortunately, because of social conditioning, you know, you think that you're not enjoying that time, like quite the contrary. And so how do we get more of that in there? And so I think that was one of the biggest things is that, you know, sometimes folks, don't feel like they are enjoying themselves because they're not off you know at some networking event that's been sold to them as that's what fun people do and so that was one of the you know many things, but I think another big one, kind of the biggest is uh, this principle as I was uh, putting you know all the research together that I hadn't landed on surprisingly, and it's this idea of the hedonic flexibility principle and What this study or corpus of research has shown is that, similar to sleep, folks that don't enjoy at least some leisure, so aren't enjoying at least some of the time that they have in the 168 hours we all have in a week, are the ones that are getting burnt out. And of course, we're seeing that across North America, right, with record levels of burnout, even coming out of the pandemic. And so, for the folks that can't find just a few hours out of the day to do something that they enjoy, are, are depleted, right? They find themselves in this downward spiral. And so even when they have these moments, you know, where they can use time wisely, it tends to be pretty poor uses of escapism, things like plopping down on the couch and, you know, just channel surfing. Social media use is often villainized in this regard. Sometimes it's even drinking and and, and other, you know, really poor forms of escapism. But the folks that are deliberate, right, put fun on their schedule after work, have true transition r- rituals. So they know when their work day is done, right? Like, okay, 7 p.m., I don't have to answer emails after this. This is meant for my partner and I to do something and reconnect, you know? It's only two hours, right? You know, given the week, it's only 14 hours out of that 168 that I'm reclaiming. But the people that are deliberate about this are the ones that show up the next day at work with the vigor and vitality to actually get a lot of work done so they can leave feeling good about it. And then the reward is they get to have some fun afterwards, right? So these folks find themselves in an upward spiral. And so paradoxically, the ones that are enjoying themselves are actually producing more and, you know, finding work more enjoyable than the ones that are like just grinding it out and not not making these deliberate choices. So I think that was the real big, wow, okay, so this isn't just, you know, about wanting folks to enjoy their lives more. It's actually when we are able to put some of these things in practice it's a form of betterment and not only that but you know there are other principles adjacent principles that make everyone else's life better too you know when you're a happier person through social contagion you're making the folks around you happier right i mean think about the busy mom that is so depleted so burnt out that there's no empathy for the way that she's serving, you know, even though that's such a value and that's what she wants to do, so she feels good about it, once you start to lose that empathy and you get in this mindset that I have to do these things instead I get to do them, we know there's negative consequences that really have ripple effects, not just for yourself but for others. So again, in that context, right? taking a little bit of time for yourself allows you not only to be more productive, but then generally, it's infectious. And so the folks around you get to benefit from the fact that you're enjoying some of your time.
0: You pointed out before, just the idea of reading a book or, you know, a self-care ritual, that these are things that can be considered fun, if that is what you consider (laughs) fun. It doesn't have to be like, I join a pickleball league or something where there's this like, quote unquote, idea of like, what fun means. And because of that, if you reconstruct in your head and reframe what fun means to you and make that thing you're doing, you're like, nope, I've now labeled this fun. This is me having fun. Then that experience changes, right? So now all of a sudden it goes from like a task or something where you're like, oh, I should be doing that thing, but I'm actually just going to lie here with a book. If you reframe it as fun, all of a sudden it's fun and there's a different purpose and joy to it. Absolutely.
1: And the funny thing is, it's not even really a reframe. I mean, the definition really is, are you finding pleasure and drawn to the things that you're doing? I mean, fun does have this kind of whimsical component to a lot of us, but you know, fun really is, are you enjoying the things that you're doing? And so under that definition, right, it's exactly what you just explained. But so many of us you know, we'll be enjoying what we're doing. And then for whatever reason, there's this headwind of, yeah, well, maybe that isn't fun or worse. You know, there's a sense of guilt because we feel like, you know, a respite or reducing our cognitive load um, somehow doesn't enable us to do something more productive. But again, what I would posit and the research, you know, supports me on this is that actually similar to sleep, enjoying your leisure time a little bit is actually what recharges your batteries to be able to do the harder stuff. And it's not just about more productivity too. For the folks that are in vocations or doing things where they want to be creative, it's also where creativity lies because we know if you're really depleted, we really do need to rely on our heuristics and you know algorithms, kind of the map that we've created for ourselves in adulthood to be able to navigate this crazy information-rich life that we live in, right? And so when you have the resilience to feel safe, um, that's also when you can, you know, really enjoy kind of some of these heady problems. And so under that context too, you know, enjoying a little bit of play in your life also allows you to, when you are tackling a serious problem, to, you know, potentially look at it in a non-linear fashion rather than just relying you know, on, on the way you've always attacked it.
0: I love the word play. <laughs> I, I do. I, I really, I love that idea and that like life should be playful and that, you know, I'm a big believer in whatever experience you want to be having, whatever you want to be playing of your life is what you will get. So if you want to carry it as a game and fun and happy, you know, that will show up in your life because it's the mentality. It's why I, I love the the idea of like happy versus fun, I think about that. I I always think about like hope, let's say, versus trust. Happy and hope are emotional states, right? But they imply something is missing or the search for something where fun is an active word. Trust is an active word. And so just turning something around all of a sudden takes it from a scarcity, a lack of of what you have in your life or something you should be you know, trying for so hard and holding on to, to something that is more playful. And so it's a much more optimistic way of experiencing life.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's also episodic, right? So in addition to what you said, the action orientation and sort of being in the moment, it's things that are ephemeral and we can celebrate that. Like fun isn't meant to be you know, your entire life or or there would be problems. The similar, you know, again, juxtaposing it to sleep, just how we know we need sleep, but we wouldn't recommend sleeping 14 hours a day. And so being playful in certain circumstances where you know there's a finish and an end allows you to really enjoy that space because you know, eventually it will be over where when you look at happy, again, it's this like ever-present infinite game right it gets really complex because you have to think about it in its totality and quite frankly we're going to have slings and arrows in our life they're going to be days that aren't great and so having the emotional flexibility to be able to deal with that is important and getting back to your point the fact that hey you know what these two hours are meant to be fun i'm going to make sure fun happens is a lot more attainable right the bar is lower and it also means that we can you know break eggs in that space whether that's at work, right? Like, you know, during a great brainstorming session and there are no bad ideas to taking the load off a teaching moment with your children. I learned this from Dr. Cook, you know, so I'm kind of standing on the shoulders of giants here. But, you know, one of the fun things I'm doing right now is learning to cook with my daughter. If we mess up, we celebrate that just as much as we would if, you know, something goes right. Instead of Because it's, you know, that playful space where we're still trying to learn how to cook better. But the fact that it is in a playful environment, it's not like, oh my gosh, you dropped that egg, you know, and like all of a sudden the fun sucked out of the room, even those moments become playful. And yet we're still accomplishing, you know, becoming better cooks.
0: How important is presence? Like being present and how much of this is really just a funnel into being present?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mindfulness is packaged with this in the book as you know. I talk about the research of uh, Dr. Killingsworth and so kind of the geeky psychology word here is mind wandering, but we know folks, no matter what you're engaged in, if you're always kind of somewhere else when you're doing it, you know, again this idea of mind wandering, this correlates with some of the most unhappy people. So even if you're not really enjoying the things that you're doing, you know, being there in the moment is helpful, but to the extent that you can use your agency and autonomy and go, how could I make this more enjoyable? And then use that and really savor those moments um, becomes important. And I'm we could give the laundry list of why that is, right? I mean, fear and anxiety tend to live in the past and future. They don't tend to live in the present because you're either gonna get yourself out of danger and into something better, or you're really gonna enjoy what you're doing. So if you're there, where your two feet are, right? I mean, it's just a better place with regards to good mental hygiene. But the second is we know when we're mindful, we encode those memories. And so that's where all the physiological benefit comes from. Because when we're mind wandering, right? For instance, this morning, again, because I eat my own dog food, my daughter had her sixth grade award ceremony, and I knew I wanted to remember those core memories. But in years past, especially when I was still getting my PhD, when my kids were younger, a lot of those, you know, seminal moments, I would be on my phone or like worried about the next email. And those memories just aren't as rich in my brain. And we know that, you know, when you encode richer information, because you are practicing mindfulness, that's what creates the cognitive reserve that we believe could potentially mitigate cognitive decline down the line. So not to get... in. To, you know that path of neuroscience but it just has so many benefits one we're going to enjoy our time more two again it's a signal to the people that we care about right that they're important not so many of the things that distract us and then three we know that you know it really does help us create better memories that we believe will be beneficial later in life too
0: from the research from yourself from the people that you 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 talk to in your own world and practice what do you think are the best ways for people to find their own source of fun and also be able to implement it into their life as a priority?
1: So this comes from behavioral science. I mean, premeditation is one of the easiest steps, right? So many of us, you know, if we don't sort of give it thought ahead of time, that's when it's easy to let time kind of pass us by. And so what I suggest it's really just take an hour to, to remind yourself what is fun, right? By creating a fun list. And so what were the things that you, you used to like to do that you're not doing anymore? What are the things that you're doing now that you'd like to do more of? Who are the friends that you haven't seen in a while that you remember when you spend time with them, you're laughing and giggling and it's just really enjoyable. What are the things that you want to do? What are those aspirations? And really just get it all down. And then pair that list down to about 8 to 15 things and try and see if there's one or two things you can immediately put on your schedule. So that's called pre-commitment, right? And we know, again, this can work in any facet of life, but when we put something on our schedule or better yet, again, if it's something that might cost a little bit of money or you know, hopefully gets you to see you know, someone that you care about so you're not just benefiting from dopamine potentially, but also getting some oxytocin and, you know, some pro-social behavior, inviting them in and saying, Hey, we're doing this. Then you'll actually get it done. And again, it's just a small nudge back into reminding you that you should be doing some of these things in your week. Right. And so that invitation to get it back, you know, is an important first step. And then the second, what I suggest is just looking at how you spend your 168 hours, because one of the things we don't want to do is prescribed trying to find joy and fun in an already over-prescribed week. You know, then it becomes homework. And oftentimes, then it's burdensome, right? So identifying, you know, how you're spending your week and looking for opportunities of time wasters so that you can create space to integrate back some of these things that you you put on your list is kind of the second important step because so many of us, you know, believe and again, you know, because you read the book, but we look at these time use surveys and even the busiest people will say, I don't have any time. But when you look at your time critically, there's almost always pretty big opportunities to change your circumstance, even if it's just a couple of hours. And so, you know, looking at what have you habituated? Are there things that you do on the weekend that have just been the family ritual for so long that you haven't questioned it, but all of you hate doing it, Right. You know, how much social media use are you engaging in? Are there kind of heuristics in your head that need to be questioned? Like, I find a lot of couples are like, oh, we couldn't go to a dance class on Thursdays because that's a school night. Yet, you know, through just a little bit of engineering, you can implement, and and it doesn't have to be dance, right? That's just an example. Um, But whatever is meaningful for you, integrating just one or two things that you actually enjoy into the week by questioning some of these things that have held you back. And then checking in with yourself the next day about, am I really tired or did that make me feel better? Am I kind of stoked that I enjoyed last night? You know, all of these things kind of move you in the right direction. And the best part is, it's just those subtle shifts, right? It's not about, you know, changing all at once because we know with behavior change, you know, that's generally an amazing recipe for disaster. It's really just about reminding yourself to get back into balance and enjoying all the benefits that come with that.
0: It's a reminder to have more fun, to create the fun habit, Mm -hmm. and also to just find a little play time in your life to spark some joy, to spark some energy, to reconnect with yourself and with others. And that's incredibly important to live a happy life in whatever way happy comes to you. I can't thank you enough for taking your time to do this. I I really enjoyed this conversation. And I think that it's such an important aspect of being a well-rounded adult and also being able to achieve whatever goals you want. Because hard work and grinding gets you only so far until you burn out. Creating a holistic experience of life where there's room for fun is more likely to get you to whatever goals that you might want to achieve in your life which you've broken down so nicely in the book. is like, you know, this is a benefit if you want to be successful. here's, Here's what you need to do mentally, physically, all the ways to find fun.
1: Yeah, I think where folks have sort of, you know, it's easier to get on board is just looking at it similar to sleep. Just how, again, you want to keep sleep in balance, right? But we know if you start to get into the four to six hour range of sleep, you're not going to be productive the next day so the idea that you don't you know make sleep a priority becomes important and we're learning the same about leisure the folks that don't at least enjoy some time are suffering the consequences and we you know again we we know this to be a fact and yet because it's a slower burn and a little bit more insidious we do need to talk about it more i mean luckily you know folks like the eu are doing things to get this right, right, like you know, for instance, France made it illegal for companies that don't need to operate on the weekend to keep their email servers on after five p.m. on a Friday to set that social signal that hey, you know, Saturday and Sunday are meant to be a respite from work because we know again that these have not just benefits for our own well-being, but certainly create a work environment that's more supportive of employees. There's been a lot of chatter in the last year about studies. I think. The last one was in New Zealand about a four-day work week, and then yeah, productivity doesn't go up, but it doesn't go down either. And then you reap all of these benefits, but yet because you know we're entrenched in sort of the American dream, North America is a little bit last in line with this. But you know we're getting the message too. I mean, it's a weird time, right? Again, we're second to last in the developed world for giving PTO, and so I mean that's just a stat. But what I find more fascinating is even that meager access, only 50% of us are even taking that because again, we have, you know, this staunch work ethic that is maladaptive and, you know, really is leading to folks burning out. And so figuring out a way to set the stage so that we look at enjoyment similar to the way that we look at sleep. So again, not just so that we can enjoy our lives.
0: It's a habit. Like you outlined, it's creating a habit in your own life, similar to brushing your teeth, eating healthy, you know, creating the idea behind it, which is like sleep equals, you know, myriad benefits. And now creating a habit around this and the understanding that like, this isn't a nice to have, this is a must have.
1: But the funniest thing is that we have to sell it, right? Like to, to tell someone like, oh, no, I promised you just enjoying your life a little bit is gonna reap, you know, reap the benefits. I think that's what's fascinating for so many people that we really don't have to have this conversation, but we do. And so we're having it, yeah. You
0: know? Yeah, it's sad to be sometimes it's a little sad to be a grown-up and we gotta create a space where it it feels fun. So thank you for helping us to do that. And I really appreciate you being on the second shift and thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks
1: so much for having me. It's been
0: a pleasure. This is a really interesting conversation and I really, I'm going to go have some fun now. I'm going to go find my fun. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women.